Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Greg Monjon and he is a doctor of functional medicine and he specializes in autoimmune issues. Welcome Dr. Greg. Amber, so good to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. I think functional doctors are the thing now and everybody should have one. So give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. We used to be considered kooky and quacky and now we're so popular. We, we, yeah, we're busy. So uh, my journey started, uh, in 1998, actually, I had, had uh, designed to, decided to go into the medical field and I, I got that phone call. We've all had these pivotal situations in our life where something has happened to us and everything changes. So I was 20 years old at the time. My dad was 50 at the time. And my dad called our family this day and said, I have cancer. And uh, I'm sure if you've listened to this and you've had that phone call from a family member before, you remember that. And it was, it was huge. And my dad asked me, uh, would you be willing to take some time away from your medical studies and join our family at the Mayo Clinic uh, so we can do this as a family? And I was like, man, absolutely. And prior to that, I thought I was becoming a doctor to, to help people. And I think every doctor has that. And, and two, there's the accoutrements of being a doctor. You know, you get to have a good living and, and um, you know, have nice houses and nice cars and everything changed uh, that, that very semester. So Long story short, uh, my dad had stage four cancer of his urinary bladder. And so there's a time and place for medicine. A lot of people think that like functional doctors or, or uh, natural minded people are, are against medicine, yet there's a time and place for it, right? So mm-hmm. here's a time and a place. So we, we land at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, my dad, again, is 50 years old. They take out his bladder. They take out his prostate. They take a chunk of his small intestine, make a new bladder. And what are we now? 23 years later, and my dad's alive. And that was the wow. pivot for me in my journey. Um, so uh, I come out of, out of my medical practice and I, I'm the, the, the lone doctor. Actually, I'm the only doctor in a county in a small area in, in Minnesota. And a mom with three of her kids walk into my practice and two of these kids are severely autistic. And the mom says, can you help us? And I'm like, absolutely. And we, uh, what I like to call the belly flop in the deep end, So um, I was then formally trained through the Institute for Functional Medicine. I literally sat at the same table as Dr. Mark Hyman, and we learned about the world of functional medicine together and how the body's designed to heal, how um, there's a time and place for drugs and surgery. I just explained that had, you know, had my dad gone to, I'm not saying that my dad couldn't have gone to a homeopath or a natural doctor and got through what he got through, yet there's a lot of people that, that we felt like it was the best thing for our family. So into the world of autism, I was one of the first Defeat Autism Now doctors, um, that I've, I now have about 5,000 hours of hyperbaric oxygen therapy under my belt with patients. Um, obviously, a lot of work with, with diet uh, and these little ones. That then parlayed into <clears throat> um, actually doing some work on the professional rodeo circuit, uh, working with some athletes inside of that world, which then mm-hmm. parlayed into being, I was the, the personal functional medicine doctor for an Olympic gold medal wrestler. And, uh, and so I have a pretty extensive background in, in diet. And we actually put this wrestler into a ketogenic state to, uh, to make weight and to wrestle at a level that, um, I mean, essentially, uh, people would call him the best wrestler ever uh, in the United States. So if you're a wrestling fan, you'd know the name Jordan Burroughs. I, I am his personal functional medicine doctor. We mm-hmm. ran labs on him. I would actually travel with him and I would cook his meals. Uh, and I would actually also mm-hmm. prepare his, his uh, meals for between, sna- between matches through all of this, I really got a liking for looking at laboratory work. I'm very much a um, let's test, not guess. And I really believe in biochemical individuality. So, so fast forward now, I'm almost 20 years into practice and I have a, 
a large private practice in the Minneapolis area uh, of Minnesota. And I actually treat people all around the world. I had a, a call with a person yesterday from Kenya. I have a patient in Spain. I have patients all around the United States. I was doing telemedicine before COVID made Zoom cool. Uh, so it's just really awesome for us to quantify these things. And where we've dialed in now is into the world of autoimmunity. Um, I, as nicely as I can say this, I have a strong disagreement with the traditional medical approach to autoimmunity, uh, the assumption around it. And I believe that, you know, I guess um, success leaves clues, 100,000 sets of labs later, you see some things that, that tell you kind of the why or the root cause of autoimmunity. And then you start to address that. We use diet. And we do a lot of what I call gods and grandma's tools inside of our clinic. We use diet, detoxification, breath work, um, sleep, nutrition. I mean, gosh, things that are considered alternative, right? It's funny how they think that sleep and diet are alternative, but drugs are, are considered traditional. Whole nother conversation. So I would say now 80-ish um, percent of our practice has a diagnosed autoimmune disease. Of that, half of those have uh, chronic Lyme disease because we actually check for that and we're in a hotbed of that. And, uh, and we have amazing success. We, we take a very uh, non-traditional approach with how we treat people. Uh, it's not a come when you want to see us. People have unlimited access to us. Um, let me just pump the brakes there for a second. Your listeners are like, wait, did a doctor just say that we get unlimited access to them? And the answer is yes. Uh, so we are very picky about the journey that people need. And, and, if, and people get this, like, if you need an answer to a question, it's not like you need it a month from now or when you, where you can get in next. So, so we love what we're doing. Um, we uh, literally just signed a lease on a very, very, very large clinic where it's going to be kind of the field of dreams. We're going to allow uh, professionals with a natural minded set to come in, set up shop, and we'll offer things like, uh, I have about 2,500 uh, IV infusion, nutritional IV infusion uh, injections under my belt, um, stem cell, prolozone, ozone, uh, kind of the best of the best. Uh, we are a place where people can come and um, get well, and get well in a way that the body's designed to get well. I believe, my philosophy is simply this, the body responds appropriately to its environment. So if you take that response, then you, you take a, a mindset of curiosity with what's going on in the body as opposed to a, oh, well, I'm sorry, your body's jacked up and uh, here's a drug to fix your stupid body. Like that never has resonated with me. So uh, yeah, we have to take a, a different approach and guess what? We get different results. Can you be my doctor? First of all, <laughs> oh my God, I love everything you said. That is like, that's what I'm looking for. That's my hope for the future. Oh my gosh. I'm just so, so happy to be able to talk to you about this. Okay. Can we like start off the, the first question is tell the people, what is a, the difference between a functional doctor versus a conventional doctor for those that don't really understand? The first thing I'll tell you is how they're similar. I believe every person that got into medicine got into it for the same reason. Like there's truly a heart to help people. For example, my, my first cousin, who's a, a traditionally trained medical doctor, he did a medical missions trip to, I think the Dominican Republic. And he's like, oh my gosh, I got to help people. I got to be a source of hope and help. And, um, and you know, now he, he, I had a conversation with him several years ago and he's like, man, I don't feel like I'm able to give what I thought I was getting myself into. So first off is how we're similar. We all truly care for people. Now, it doesn't mean that you've necessarily had a good experience because not all doctors have uh, an emotional intelligence to have an authentic conversation. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of doctors are not good listeners. 
And as nicely as I can say this, a lot of doctors in the traditional system do not have the time that they want to take to hear a story. Uh, and not just, a, but like your health journey and, and where you've been. And, and I love the stories. I love to make the connections. I love to connect the dots. Uh, traditional doctors typically only have a few tools, right? They have drugs and surgery or, or referring to other specialists. And, and according to uh, like the World Health Organization, in the world, the United States is ranked number one in emergency medicine. So God forbid if I leave my clinic today and I get T-boned by somebody at 80 miles an hour, uh, don't take me to a functional medicine doctor. Don't take me to a massage therapist. Don't take me to a homeopath. Take me to the ER, like land the helicopter, buy my car and use every screw and drug to save my life because we're the best in the world at that. Now, in the same study, the World Health Organization talked about overall health and wellness. And they said in 39 developed countries, the United States is 37th out of 39 developed countries in overall health and wellness. And, and my opinion is that we're using the same tools for emergency as we are trying to do to keep people healthy and well. And it's not working. And we spend more on healthcare than any of those other countries put together. So, so that's really the medical approach. Again, there's a time and a place. For example, my, my wife and I have five absolutely drop-dead gorgeous babies. We love all of them. And 100 years ago, I would have been a widower at, at the time of the birth of our first child. Our first child had the umbilical cord wrapped twice around her neck. Had there been a natural childbirth, more than likely there's a possibility that I would have lost my wife and my baby. And guess what? All five of our children had the cord wrapped twice around their neck. So am I grateful for C-sections? You damn well better believe I am. So there's another situation or an example. Now, the opposite of that is I think an analogy will help the listeners. So autoimmunity, the medical understanding of autoimmunity is simply this. Your immune system has gone rogue and it's identified. So for example, if you have Hashimoto's, it's identified your thyroid as foreign tissue and it's attacking it. If you have rheumatoid, it's attacking your joints. If you have MS, it's attacking your brain, et cetera, et cetera your gut, et cetera. And, and then what they do, their approach is um, an, an immune suppressive therapy. Uh, and in some cases, even chemotherapy. So they're saying, oh, I'm so sorry, your immune system is kind of doing its own thing and we need to tell it to be a good little boy and go in the corner and shut up. So that's kind of the medical approach um, to autoimmunity. The functional medicine approach says, huh, that's really interesting. I wonder why the immune system feels the need to be so active. Okay, so when we start to run labs, and this is kind of my aha moment uh, about five years ago after again, tens of thousands upon labs, is I still is this like, why? Why would the body identify itself as a healthy tissue? And do we really need to turn down the immune system? So when you run the right labs, again, we test, we don't guess. When you run the right labs, what I find on many, many, many patients, the, the, the strong majority, actually almost all, is there's a chronic, hidden, stealth infection. Now, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, shoot, this sounded good until that because I don't have an infection. An infection because you think of an infection as I have a fever, I have diarrhea, mm -hmm. I feel like crap. What I can tell you is a stealth infection is an infection that's been hanging around behind the curtains for decades in some cases. So if you understand that and you run the right labs, then there's a different approach. So, so now let's, let's, let me give all of your listeners a immunology 101 course. So your white blood cells are part of your immune system. 
So white blood cells, if you're, if you're looking at a medical lab, and by the way, if you have your own labs, like hit pause on the podcast and go grab your latest labs, because I'll give you a little, a little how-to here. Mm -hmm. So the ranges are also very different. So I run the same labs as a traditional doctor. I just look at them through a different lens. So the Western, so white blood cells, if you look at something called your CBC, it's called your complete blood count, the very top marker is your white blood cells. So Western medicine wants you between four and 10, and functional medicine wants you between five and eight. So think of traditional medical ranges as disease ranges. So if you're too mm -hmm. low or too high, it's a disease. And functional medicine looks at optimal ranges. So mm -hmm. if you're outside of their range, you're not functioning optimally. Well, I'd, I'm much more interested in optimal function than disease. So, so let's walk through immunology 101 here. Okay, so you're, you're going about your day doing your thing. And lo and behold, you get exposed to some type of a pathogen. So a pathogen would be like a virus or a bacteria or a parasite or a mold. The appropriate response by your immune system is to, and we'll use terms of war here for a second, you'll deploy the troops. What that means is your white blood cells will raise. So if I looked at your white blood cell count and I saw a number like 10, 11, 12, 13, I would say, hmm, you've deployed the troops, you've identified an enemy and you're out to kick its butt. So if your immune system is functioning properly over a very short period of time, your immune system would do its job. It would kill the pathogen. It would get rid of the pathogen through what we call your drainage pathways, your gut, your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, your lymphatic tissue, and your brain has its own lymphatic tissue called a glymphatic tissue. That's how we get rid of things. So there must be an exit path. Now, and then, and then your white blood cells would, would drop back between five and eight and say, all right, who's next? Here is what I find with autoimmunity is initially there is an appropriate response to a pathogen. The catch, though, is when we run the proper testing or advanced testing, we know that there's never just a single strep or staph or parasite. They bring their friends. And guess what? Typically, they're pretty damn good. So if you deploy the troops and the enemy's really good, you cannot. And by the way, the enemies fight back. Little point you cannot withstand that level of an immune response for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So what I happen to see then when I run the labs is I'll see white blood cells five or less. And if that's the case, that tells me that the enemy is kicking your butt and you don't even have enough troops to fight anymore. So here's what I have found with autoimmunity. And by the way, if, you, if they ran the right CBC, it'll have something called the differentials, which will have the, the breakdowns of the white blood cell. So things like neutrophils and lymphocytes, uh, monocytes, eosinophils and basophils. Uh, so what happens then is we see this low count. And in my opinion, autoimmunity, again, back to terms of war, is nothing more than friendly fire. Your system mm -hmm. is becoming overwhelmed by pathogens and it's firing bullets like mad. It's a firefight. And for whatever reason, it has identified a thyroid or a joint as a foreign tissue. And typically, I find that the tissue that it targets has had something happen to it at some point in time in the person's life. So for example, if it's a joint thing, it's not atypical that this person has had some joint issues. So that joint is susceptible, brain issues, even family history. There is unquestionably a strong family history with autoimmunity. So that's the big difference. So functional medicine then says, huh, guess what? So then really we need to understand that autoimmune disease is really a immune system conversation. So for example, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, one of the most common autoimmune diseases in the world. It is, a, it is considered autoimmune hypothyroidism, 
Spoiler alert. If you have that, it is not a thyroid condition. It's an autoimmune condition. It's an immune system condition. So I, I just went through a set of labs from a, um, from, from a woman that came into our clinic. By the way, I run labs on everybody. And she is, guess what? She's taking levothyroxine. And just so you guys know, it's really tough to get a lot of traditional doctors to actually run these extra labs. Mm -hmm. Think about this. If you're like, hey, I want you to run autoimmune markers on my thyroid. There is typically so much pushback. And here's why. There's no drug for it. So imagine you asking your doctor to run a lab and the lab come back, comes back positive. And you're like, all right, doc, what are we going to do? And the doctor's like, I have no freaking clue, right? You'd be like, holy shit, I think I have the wrong doctor, which is not the conversation that they want to have. So, so it's very, very common. About 80% of hypothyroidism is actually autoimmune. So this person is taking Levo and her TSH is now in a normal range, but guess how she feels? She feels like crap. She's like, I thought I was supposed to feel better. So the premise of autoimmunity, again, going back, I believe the body responds appropriately always to its environment. And instead of saying, oh, your body's gone off and it's doing its own thing, we get to honor it, understanding neurology, physiology, functionality, and go, so what we do with autoimmunity then is we support the immune system and we kill the pathogen. Novel concept. Now, it's, it's a lot more complicated than here's an antibiotic, here's an antiviral, here's an antiparasitic, see me in 90 days, you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. So the big premise of functional medicine is that also functional medicine honors that this is a spiritual journey, that there's, that there's emotional health that's involved in this. I ask all of my patients about trauma. Now, I'm not a trauma therapist, yet, my goodness gracious, having abuse or neglect or any type of trauma is no different than you living by Chernobyl or getting in a car accident. So if we don't honor that or understand that, then that's that missing piece that's just left hanging out there. Um, we have to talk about relationships, about sleep, about relationships with food. Um, even trauma, I, I saw in one of your previous podcasts, there was even some talk about like body dysmorphia. Hello, like this is all part of the journey. We ask you about their relationship with food. You know, so, so, so there's just so much to it. And that's why there needs to be the level of connection that we have. And I just, man, my heart, I, 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 so I, I'm a very strong Christian and I just, I, I'm here to, so I had a friend of mine, um, he's actually an amazing dude. He used to be an NFL football player. And now he's actually a, uh, he's a consultant in the cannabis world. And uh, he, he, on social media the other day, he had a hat on and he's this monster of a man, but gives the beta, best hugs in the world. And he had a hat on. And so instead of saying drug dealer, his, his hat said, hug dealer. Aww. And when I saw that it was revealed to me, I said, you know what, I'm a hope dealer. I give people hope. Because by the time someone finds someone like me, now I live about 50 miles from the Mayo Clinic. And in this area, typically the people that found us, we call them Mayo dropouts, which means they've been to the Mayo Clinic. And maybe you're the person listening to this and you've had labs done. And you've been told, I'm so sorry, your labs are normal. And you're like, uh, but I'm not. And then a lot of people that by the time they find us are even on things like antidepressants because the doctor's like, ah, oh, maybe you're just depressed. So when you look at the body from a global standpoint, you understand that this is an ultra marathon, not a hundred yard dash, and people can be heard, then, oh man, what, what a wonderful, awesome field to be in, uh, a calling to have. And then, and two, if you're listening to this, like there's some, there's some things that we, that are, that are key component, key components to people that get well. Um, and, and so much of this, if you're that type of person that says, oh yeah, 
I've probably tried his thing before, or, yeah, this probably doesn't apply to me. You know what? You're right. It probably doesn't work yet. So, so, and that's why, for example, so I do, I do discovery calls. I do free discovery calls with people because I'm very picky with who I accept as a patient. And because here's why, if people see a clinician and they're like, oh yeah, I went to that person and it didn't work. If we had what I call the two beer conversation, um, where you can just be honest with somebody, the reality is you probably didn't do what they told you to do. And, and who, I mean, a lot of people are, I'll just say what it is. Like people just, they don't want to take ownership. So in that phone call, like I straight up ask really tough questions about, about support systems. I ask them about, about their mindset, about asking about what they've tried. Because after 20 years of doing this, we're pretty good at figuring out like who is going to have success with what we do. So anyway, whew, there's the long answer to a short question of the difference between functional and traditional medicine. Well, that was so awesome. And uh, yeah, I think you're my new health best friend for sure. <laughs> you are saying all the right things that I just love to hear. And I have a question for, okay, well, I guess more of a statement, uh, more or less, but I had talked to somebody who's into the, the functional medicine on a podcast and they were talking about, it's not out yet, but um, they were talking about the differential part of the white blood cell count. Okay. And she was saying stuff and all of a sudden all this, and I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck? And my husband has been just having issues. And so it, it, luckily he had a test. It, it's a little old, but still, I was just so curious. And I was like, find me those test results. Cause I can't wait to look. Right. And sure enough the I can't remember which one it was, but the one for viruses that was out of range and he, yes. And he, he, um, when he was, we were high school sweethearts and when he was 16, he had mono like severe and they right. kept misdiagnosing it. And so it went on to the point where his spleen almost ruptured. Hmm. That's how bad it was. It was bad. And he was running like 104 plus temperature for long periods of times. And they just said, Oh, strep throat anyway. So it was major. Plus as a kid, he had chicken pox, which most of us are our age did. Right. And he's had, um, shingles twice twice. So obviously there's some virus stuff going on there. Right. Totally. And, you know, whenever he would get really, really like tired or what, that, that's what happened when he would get really worn down, then here comes the shingles. And it's like, what? And sure enough, that is the range that was off. And I was like, Pah. now we haven't done anything yet about that. Cause he needs to have a recent one done to see if that's still, you know, the thing, but he's still having, you know, he's, he's fatigued all the time and his joints hurt and on and on, you know, it's such a, that's so important and so insightful for people. Right. And, and what medical approach would affect viruses? There really isn't any, an antibiotic is for bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. So if you, and by the way, there's beneficial bacteria too. So if you take a broad spectrum antibiotic and you have an underlying viral condition, it's kind of like going to a frat party and saying, all right, I don't care how old you are, everybody out. And then because the virus isn't really a part of that, it gets to stay and then do its thing without even having the beneficial components there. So if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I have a virus and I have a parasite. The first thing I need to tell you is please do not take a powerful antiviral. Please do not take antiparasitic because here's why. If it doesn't know how the hell to get out of your system after you kill it, you will be worse off with it festering around your system. Think of like poking the hornet's nest and you don't, the hornets don't know where to go or poking the bear. 
And that's where you, uh, I, 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 I spoke quickly, uh, but I need to really talk about drainage. So the large intestine, like we're going to talk about poop for a little bit. If you are not pooping like a rock star, assuming rock stars poop well, um, then your body doesn't know how to get rid of things. Your liver, your liver has a very specific pathway through what's called your hepatobiliary vein, which then dumps into your hemorrhoid vein and it goes out your poop chute. I mean, that's just, that's how the liver does part of its detox. Um, roughly, so depending upon how, how old you are, how active you are, uh, how much you weigh, pulse rate, every three to six minutes, every drop of blood in your body goes through your liver. So for example, on your husband, then you need to look at a CMP, a comprehensive metabolic profile, because I'm guessing that poor liver is like throwing the white flag up because it says, I've been processing these, this, this infection in his case for decades. So the liver is like, oh, so then I see females that have like their gallbladders removed. Well, it makes sense because if the liver is dealing with infection, it has a hard time making the necessary bile and then it gets sludge and the cystic ducts get blocked up. And then and they're like, oh, your gallbladder's not working. We'll just lop it out. Uh, but what's the cause? What's the why? So we have to look at liver drainage, your kidneys, there's specific um, enzymes and electrolytes that you can look at in the comprehensive metabolic profile mm -hmm. to see what's going on there. Even in the inside of that comprehensive metabolic profile, you can even look for something called leaky gut syndrome, where you legit have holes in your intestines, you guys, like people thought I was crazy 20 years ago talking about this. And it's funny, like 20 years later, like, oh man, you were, you were brilliant. You guys really knew what was going on. And that's the, that's one of the things about being a functional medicine doc is you have to have a pretty thick skin because we're talking about stuff now that, that 20 years ago, like when I, 20 years ago, when I, when I told people that they, they need to be off of gluten, for example, they're like, what the hell's gluten? And uh, what would I do? How, how does that work? And now it's everywhere, right? You can go to a, you can go to a, a, a burger shop and you can get a gluten-free bun. So yeah, so in your husband's case, and I love looking at the series of labs because the body's pretty intelligent and the body should be able to do things on its own. But if it's not, then you need to come in and understand. And I tell people doing the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing, mm -hmm. Right. So, and people get this, especially when we talk about viruses, like people understand like the herpes virus, for example, like cold sores, like I get stressed out and boom, my lip blows up. Well, that means that you've had this virus hanging around in your system. It's always there. And then you need to have what altered your immune system. People don't really understand and honor the intricacy of the immune system. And when you support the immune system, good gracious, it can do some crazy things in our body. I mean, spoiler alert, we all actually have cancer in our body. There's a, there's a test called the, M, the, the CMAS test. We all have cancer. The question is, is our cancer really aggressive or is it, or is it flatlined? And that's your immune system that dictates that. So that's, that's really that conversation uh, inside of this. And here's the thing. Um, again, we don't guess, you test, you have to figure out, we're all individual, we're all unique. And, and two, there's even some neat research coming on now with uh, genetics and genetic testing, uh, which, so the conversation around genetics is, it's kind of like a loaded gun. If you have a certain gene, you have a loaded gun, but mm -hmm. it takes your lifestyle to pull that trigger. Uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, I've never pulled a trigger in my life. And then you actually have some questions and they're like, oh yeah, I guess I am trigger happy. So that's just this conversation. When you look at the depth and breadth of looking at a human being, uh, and, and they're all of their parts and places and traumas and experiences and hopes and beliefs. That's part of the journey. And, and, and so functional medicine might sound sexy, but it's a hell of a lot more work than like, Oh, here's a, here's a prescription. Go away. I'll, I'll never see you again. And that takes a, it takes a true compassionate um, person that um, 
I mean, honestly, so my patients have unlimited access to me, right? So, so I get messages on my cell phone from my patients and a lab doctor's like, oh, I would never do that. And I'm like, and that's good that you've realized that then don't think that you want to treat Lyme disease or tough, tough chronic cases because they need connection. It's real funny. Well, not funny that you say that about the liver specifically like with my husband, because almost every time his liver test comes back abnormal Mm -hmm. and then they kind of go, Ooh, let's look into this a little bit more, but then they end up saying, Oh, it was, it's okay. And interesting. Let's go there for a second because you do a lot of work in the ketogenic world, right? So you actually Mm -hmm. ask a lot of the liver gallbladder. Mm -hmm. So if you have people that are like, Oh my God, I introduced, I introduced fats and all of a sudden just boom, diarrhea. So Mm -hmm. typically what I've found, and I've done this for, I've done, I've been in the keto world for about 10 years. Typically what I find is that is a red flag that the liver says, I can't, I can't, I've got so much on my plate and you're asking me to emulsify or break down these extra fats. Like what the hell? Like, don't you realize what I'm dealing with? So what it's not is a shortage of digestive enzymes or bile salts or all these things that you can take. Like ask the question, why, like what's going on liver? Like why aren't you playing fair here? And in those cases, a lot of times it says, because I'm overwhelmed with dealing with this other stuff. And that can many times, at least what I've found clinically, that can definitely be like a little sign that, again, not that it's not a good approach, but we have to lay some groundwork before we jump into that world. It's also extremely interesting. And, you know, all these little, little things are adding up and, and it's almost exciting me. Like, oh, maybe we can get to the root of this. Oh my gosh, it's getting closer. I feel like it's getting closer. Okay. Now we know maybe we're somewhere to go. Now we just have to find the right person to do that with. And so, because I'm going to tell you right now, the traditional doctors we have that we've worked with, even though I love my doctor, he retired. That's why I still don't have a doctor, but um, I loved him because he was very compassionate and he did actually listen, but he was a conventional doctor. And even like after I did keto and I lost, you know, over a hundred pounds and he was so excited for me, high fighting me and all this. And he said, just be careful. You know, you don't want to be on it too long, you you know, the typical, but he didn't tell me not to anyway, he was a good doctor, but we're, we're, you know, struggling to find somebody that aligns with what we believe and what we want, what we're looking for. So I, I, you know, it's a little distressful for me. And and the one doctor that I did find, he's not accepting new clients because he's so busy. That is so real. We actually just hired an MD yesterday to join our team because we are, I'm up to my eyeballs. And uh, so we're, that, that, it's a good problem to have, but that is, that is the catch. Mm. Of this. The thing I, I want to, I want to give the traditional docs a little break here. Um, in my opinion, we're asking them to do something that they're not trained to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we assume that because they're a doctor, they should have this training and this understanding of this functional approach and, and they don't. So, so to be frustrated with asking a doctor to do something that they're not trained in, I mean, like, let's step back and like, I, that's not fair to them. Let's right. use them for what they're good at, right? Let's, let's, I mean, the analogy mm-hmm. is this uh, analogy that was shared to me by a friend of mine in one of my residencies. He said, you know, if, if you go home tonight and your house is on fire, are you going to call the fire department or the remodeling team? I was like, I'm going to call the fire department. He's like, absolutely. And they're going to come out and they're going to use uh, axes and fire hoses to get the fire out. And if they do their job and they caught it in time, your house is salvageable. Perfect. Okay. So the fire's out and it's next week. Are you going to call the fire department or the the construction team? I'm like, I'm going to call the remodelers. He's like, absolutely. 
They have different tools. Uh, if you try to use axes and fire hoses to remodel a house, it's not going to work very well. Yet, if you try to use a hammer and nails to put out a fire, that doesn't work very well. So I think that we need to be really mindful that, that to use a specialist or a clinician for what they're good at. And, and many times we want, we want our general practitioner, our GP or our family doc to do all of this. And they're like, uh, like even your doc, like high five, but I don't quite get it. So I have, I, I have to be like really responsible and say, well, be careful. Uh, because if, and here's the other thing, right? Like doctors, like they can be afraid for their license. I mean, mm-hmm. I, for example, let's say, let's say that your doctor knows that you don't like medications at all. And, and let's say that for, uh, let me use me. Cause I don't want to throw you under the bus. Let's say it's me. So let's say I go home tonight after work and, um, and there's a really stressful situation at my house. Um, you know, one of my kids is yelling, my wife's mad. And, and so, so I have a physiological response. My blood pressure goes up. Um, and I would say that that is an absolutely appropriate response to a stressful situation. Right. And for whatever reason, I, I go to the urgent care and they put the cuff on my arm and they blow that sucker up. And they're like, oh my God, Greg, your blood pressure is through the roof. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh, now, instead of asking like, what's going on, dude? Like, why do you think that is their approach? Because remember fire hoses and axes, they give me a drug, right? Now, let's say that the doctor, that the doctor there is a friend of mine and he's like, you know what, Greg, I, I, could, re- I could prescribe you a, a blood pressure medication, but dude, I know you, you're not even gonna go fill the damn thing. And so I'm not even going to prescribe it to you. All right, go on your way. And let's say I go home that night and I actually have a heart attack and I die. Okay. So my wife's a pretty smart cat. She's going to say with, with, with some family help, they're going to say, well, wasn't, didn't Greg go to the doctor? Hmm. Let's go look at the doctor's notes. Huh. Elevated blood pressure. Really interesting. And the doctor didn't even prescribe anything. Mm-hmm. Huh. So guess what? We're suing the doctor. Mm-hmm. So that's, so these people also have their hands tied uh, a bit to, to what they do. So again, use them for, for what they're supposed to do, where they are. And there's a great place, but like, for example, if you came to me and there's blood gushing out of your head, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing here? I don't deal with that. Get to the ER. They have the tools and the training for that. So I think it's really important for us to not ask something of a clinician that they're really not trained to do, or it's not their passion. Nutrition, right? Just saying, and it's not their fault. It's up for that. Maybe they could, you know, try to do some research on their own. But again, like you said, they have their, you know, thing that they're good at. So, but so many people do look at doctors and they take the nutrition advice, like, oh my gosh, don't you dare eat any fat, you know, those kind of things. And now we're finding out that that's really not very good advice, but they, that's what they have to say. So it's like, ah, yeah, very, okay. We'll switch gears here. Let's go back to the poop because uh, this is something, and I'll just start out saying this um, on TikTok. There's like this trend. I don't know if you've heard about it or seen it, whatever, but um, they're taking taking um, anti-parasitic kind of medications to do a parasite cleanse, if you will. I guess that's what it is. Paragard or something. I don't know what the big one is. Um, I I have not done that. No, but um, they, they would take it and then they talk about what comes out of them. Okay. A lot of them talk about the poop. Okay. But there's also some, and I'm, I'm trying to like 
make sense of it, saying that it's come out of their nose, their ears, and their urine. Oh my goodness. Is that really a thing? And have you ever seen that? And, and let's, let's just talk parasites. Right, right. No, I appreciate that. Uh, so according to the CDC, 60% of Americans have parasites. Okay. Now, of course, maybe you don't trust the CDC as little as I do, or <laughs> depends upon that. Um, also, um, there is no proper testing for parasites. I, I, I stopped mm. doing OVA and parasite poop tests about 10 years ago because I was sick mm. and freaking tired of negative, 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 negative. Now, let's go back to the differential. We talked about the differentials, right? So if eosinophils or basophils, so if eosinophils are above 3% and basophils are above 1%, the chance of there being a parasite infection is pretty damn good. Now, with that being said, I, from what we've found in the research, about 80% of parasites are microscopic. So mm. you could be pooping out parasites like mad and you wouldn't know the difference. And what I'll say uh, is I treat all of my patients for parasites. Uh, it's a very real thing. And mm. it is, so for example, I do a lot of work with Lyme. We now know that in many cases, the Lyme spirochete likes to hide inside of a parasite uh, because it can protect it from antibiotics or certain aspects. Mm. Uh, in my opinion, and I know there's been some, some friends of mine that own some pretty elaborate lab equipment. Some of these products uh, that people take and they poop out what they think are parasites is, are in times sometimes gut lining, which is not always a bad thing to slough and get mm. rid of. Uh, in some cases, it's actually the product that they took that can look wormy or stringy. Uh, mm. That's been proven in lab work. Uh, and, and I will, as nicely as I can say, unequivocally say there are times where there is unquestionably parasites that come out of people, whether it's a liver fluke or a tapeworm or a ropeworm or a strongyloides, giardia, you name it there. So it's, it's possible. Now, again, let's talk about this, right? So the right thing at the wrong time. If you, for example, if you don't poop well, or your liver is sluggish, and you take a bunch of antiparasitics or things that may pose themselves as antiparasitics, it could be one of the worst things you could do. Um, you know, think of these drainage components as like a funnel. And anytime you dump something into a funnel, if the funnel's not open at the, to the bottom, you, you overflow. And overflow in the functional medicine world is many times called like a Herxheimer or a detox reaction. The reality is mm. you're probably doing the wrong thing, the right thing, rather at the wrong time. So, mm. uh, so um, I, I, I don't really do social media. So I'm sure that there's people talking about their poop on TikTok. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as nicely as I can say this, I've been in this world for 20 years. Um, unfortunately, uh, the best marketer usually makes the most money in the nutritional space, not necessarily the best product. So um, again, if you're going to play in that world, you can test for that. You can have an understanding of what's going on. You can do it in the right fashion. Though I think on the flip side, there is something to saying that we have to address and understand that there can be a parasite component. And, and as nicely as I can say it, even in the, like, where do, so where do parasites come from, right? I mean, like, for example, why Japanese people eat real wasabi, not horseradish, after they consume raw fish is because it's an antiparasitic. Okay? Um, I don't consume pork where a pig was raised in a feedlot or gets to run around in a bunch of slop because pork is known to be quite infected with parasites. So it's a real thing. I mean, another thing, people who, whose animals sleep with them, people who's let, who mm. let their dogs lick their face, uh, little things that I've seen clinically. I mean, as nicely as 
people that say that the dog's mouth is cleaner than the human's mouth, I, I'm, I'd be really curious where that came from because last I checked, your dog just licked its ass before it licked <laughs> your face. So I, and, and we worm our animals, right? And, and if you're listening to this and you're not in America, you're probably like, wait, we, we worm ourselves. Like many, many, many countries, especially like second or world, third world countries, they traditionally systemically do anti-parasitics to themselves because mm -hmm. it's well understood that parasites can be part of this conversation. Now, again, you know, some time ago, I spoke about infection, co-infection and opportunistic infection. So again, if there's a parasite, there's a virus, if there's a virus, there's a bacteria, if there's a bacteria, there's a mold, like these, mm -hmm. all, all of these things work together. And you can't just say, um, you know, I, I, I've been around again for a long time. There's been these gurus that say, well, all you got to do is do heavy metal detox and everything takes care of itself. And what I say is you're partly right. Heavy metal detox is important, but to say it's the panacea that can cure everything, come on, we can do better than that. Uh, we do need to understand the hits to people. We do need to understand the stressors, but to say one size fits all or everyone just needs to do this, we can do better than that. Okay, so it sounds to me like somebody who's had chronic constipation, for instance, since about the age of three to four and a half years ago, literally I had chronic constipation. I mean, I would bust vessels under my eyes as a little kid, but I loved vegetables. So I ate a crap ton of fiber. And I realized that that actually was my issue. Once I got rid of that and I moved more carnivore, all of that went away. Okay. So anyway, so basically 40 years of my life, I was backed up. Mm -hmm. So that could not be good. If you're talking about how that's a major way of, you know, flushing these things through. So people who are constipated, that sounds like that could actually potentially be a bigger problem than just the constipation. hundred percent. Uh, the rule I say, kind of going back to monopolies, I say, do not pass go, do not collect 200 bucks. If you are not pooping. Uh, I mean, because you can't do anything, you, you, the, the drainage pathways must, must be open and not pooping as nicely as I can say, this is not a lack of Miralax. You have to figure out why, what is the cause of this? I mean, my mom, my mom, actually, when she was uh, maybe mid sixties, had to have her bladder lifted because she was tinkling. And the doctor said, Oh, Nancy, you gave birth to four, eight pounders. Like that's a lot. And my mom, my mom's hundred percent German. My dad's hundred percent French. So, and my mom is a spicy meatball. My mom said to the doctor, doc, I pushed for about 30 minutes to get those boys up, but I have given birth to a shit for the, for the last 55 years of my life. And so my mom essentially had a prolapsed bladder because of all the intrathecal bearing down pressure oh. of trying to have this. And, and guess what? My mom also had an autoimmune disease that we didn't, dis, uh, we didn't figure out until we, until I started jumping into the world of functional medicine practice. Mm -hmm. And, and this, uh, we're, we're probably getting close on time, but the biggest thing that my mom found for a benefit for her was actually coffee enemas because of the liver's mm. sluggishness inside of the gut. One of the many things that coffee enemas do is they dilate the vascularity to the descending colon to allow for better peristalsis. But like in your case, if you're having something that's just not designed to be there, then it doesn't matter what you take, you're doing the wrong stuff. I've heard a lot about the coffee enemas and I'll be honest with you. My first reaction was like, okay, you know, yeah. so really that is really a thing and that it can potentially be good for some people. Yeah. There's actually, actually pretty good research on it. Now don't jump on hmm. YouTube and Google coffee enemas because you're going to see people that don't know what the hell they're doing. So I was 
originally, I'm formally trained in something called the Gershon cancer method. So there's a guy named Max Gershon from the 1920s uh, from Germany, essentially had the cure to cancer. One of the tools that he used was coffee enemas. And so just a quick, mm. so your, your liver sits below your right rib cage and from your liver gallbladder kind of down to the left runs something called your hepatobiliary vein. By the time it hits your belly button, it turns into your hemorrhoid vein and about three inches, three to four inches from the exit point, that, hepat that hemorrhoid vein pops out into the large intestine. And that is the path that the liver dumps its toxins. And isn't, isn't it interesting? So close to the exit point, so it can just get the hell out. When you put enema coffee, now not Starbucks or Folgers or Maxwell House, when you put enema coffee in the presence of the hemorrhoid vein, there are two chemical properties in the enema coffee. One is caffeine. So we use ultra light roast. This stuff just looks like sandy water. You'd never drink it. So super high in caffeine. And there's another one called palmitic acid. When you put those two chemicals in the presence of that hemorrhoid vein, three substantial things happen. Number one, it dilates the cystic duct. What that means in English is it comes alongside the liver and says, hey, the gates are open, dump. Number two, it increases the most powerful antioxidant known to man, and that's something called glutathione. You cannot orally ingest glutathione, and they just are trying now to take N-acetylcysteine off the market. So there was a piece of research that said one coffee enema administration can increase glutathione S-transferase, GST, by upwards of 600%. Now, I have given hundreds of glutathione IVs to patients to the tune of about $250. A coffee enema, once you have the stuff, costs about 25 cents a dose. Mm. The last thing that it does, and I shared this, was it actually dilates the vessels to the large intestine to allow for better, better bowel motility. In my opinion, mm. and, I, and I have, I've had thousands of patients do coffee enemas. Uh, they do them themselves. I don't administer them. So that's hundreds of thousands of administrations, and we've never once had a side effect, an adverse side effect, even for patients that are crazy sensitive to caffeine. Like I have that person that will drink, a, drink a, a sip of coffee and they're wired for 20 hours. They can do a coffee enema and it completely does not affect them in that fashion. So in my opinion, it is the cheapest, most effective way to come alongside the liver and help it do its job. Very interesting. So even somebody like with my husband's issues and, you know, he's not constipated or anything, but because he has those liver issues or it seems to be that he does, would that be something for him? Well, you'd have to look at the labs, right? So, mm -hmm. so the labs that we look at, we look at things like alkaline phosphatase. We look at AST, ALT and albumin. Those are the main markers that we look at for liver health. And if those, so here's the thing, much like going back to our conversation with the white blood cell, initial stress will raise the white blood cell. Initial stress will raise liver enzymes, mm -hmm. but liver, the liver is not designed to maintain a highly elevated lever level of liver enzymes. So what's even worse than high liver enzymes is low liver enzymes. And I'll tell you right now that there are very few, if any uh, medical doctors in the traditional world that even address or understand that they're like, yep, good and low. And I'm like, oh crap, those are low. That means your body can't, doesn't even have the raw material or the, or the cellular wherewithal to even create that level of enzymes anymore. That's scary. And also if you're like, whoa, like that's not the conversation I had with my doc. So again, just understanding those ranges and understanding why it could be high and why it could be low. And then also the, the big thing with functional medicine is because people are like, okay, so I need to, I need to do coffee enemas. I need to do this. I need to do antiparasitics. <laughs> In the world of functional medicine, my job is to find the top domino. 
and knock it down. Because if there's an approach for every single little thing, you are broke and popping handfuls of pills every day and not even sure if you're getting to the root cause of this thing. So, so our job as functional medicine clinicians is to get to the top domino, have you understand why we got there, knock that sucker down and let it do its thing, right? Again, the body's designed to heal. It, sh it shouldn't have to be designed to take a handful of supplements every single day. Sometimes though, we have to get a, give it a kickstart to get it going. Uh, I love that. Okay. One, one other thing that, um, you were talking about how some cultures, they just automatically do parasitic cleanses. Well, in the country, <laughs> farmers, you know, they'll, they'll give the ivermectin to their horses and oh, they'll take a little dose too. And that's just like common. That's just what they do like every so often. And they, you know, they're, they're, they live long, old, healthy to right you know, old age. And there's an example. Now, am I, I saying, go, was... go to the, go to the farm and fleet store and, and chuck down some ivermectin. No, again, I mean, again, I always tell people we can do better. Like we don't have to just make these big assumptions along the way. Don't guess test, right? This test. is so, so important. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what do people do? Like if they don't have a functional doctor, say a doctor is not really willing to do some of these tests that, that you talk about, what can a person do that, especially if they don't have money to go out and hire a functional doctor or whatever it is outside of the one they need for their insurance purposes? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, uh, one of the things is even functional medicine doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, and if you're, so if you're listening to this and you've interviewed a functional medicine doctor and they're not willing to tell you their fees or what it costs to see them, uh, run, don't walk to the front door because there are a lot of gurus out there right now that are, that are telling these clinicians to charge astronomically stupid amounts of money to bring a person through this cheesy canned non personalized journey. And it frustrates me. So number one, um, straight up ask, what's, what's your fee schedule? How much do you charge for initial evaluation? How much is ongoing care? What do you charge for labs? What should I budget for supplements? I mean, that's the, that's the first place to go. And, and respectfully, labs are no better. Numbers on labs are no better than their interpretation. Like, what, what does that mean? What are my numbers? Well, according to the lab, they're all normal, but I don't feel normal. So I'd like to know what to do to look at that. And, and two, we have to be careful too, because even if you know that something's not normal, I mean, I have 20 years and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of patients of, of background. So it's, it's sometimes dangerous to give people their own information because they're like, oh, well, I did this and I found that this was off. So I went after this and that can be scary. So um, my heart would say this, find someone that you trust, understand the journey that you're going through. And even financially, like, Many times there's ways to get around it. And as nicely as I can say this, um, I mean, I have very frank conversations with people, even about finances. I mean, if, if just you figure you afford what you value and you can, you make it work. I mean, if the why is big enough, the how's going to take care of itself. And I mean, I, if I have someone that shows up in a, in a, in a Range Rover and they can't spend $97 on initial eval, I know their values. I mean, it's, so, and that's why we do these phone conversations. I do a free phone conversation because by the time people have found me, they're thousands upon thousands of dollars deep into a journey. And obviously if they've found me, they're not where they want to be yet. So okay. yes, you need to be an advocate and yes, you need a guide. You, you, everyone's goal, you know, preferably we want to 
summit Mount Everest, but you don't do it by yourself. You have a Sherpa beside you that says, start, stop, eat, back up, take a rest. Trust me, trust the process. I've summited many times. And that's where it's really important to have someone that you can trust beside you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. One last question. I'm just kind of curious. Okay. You do, um, telemedicine. Is that correct? You still do that. Okay. And does somebody in your practice is insurance accepted? Good question. Um, it's not, uh, and, and here's why, uh, by the way, I was kicked out of the insurance companies about 10 years ago because I was considered an overutilizer. What that means is I saw a person as much as I felt they needed to be seen. Not, and, and apparently it was more than the person in a cubicle in the insurance corporate headquarters thought that they should be seen. Secondly, and this is a, like a what? So if you're my patient and you look at your um, insurance benefits, they would say, you can see me 30 times a year. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to choose that because I want to see Dr. Greg and I want to have good access to him. Now in the next breath, on the flip side of the sheet, the insurance company tells me, if you see anybody more than six times a year, you are considered an overutilizer. Wait, 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 wait. So then I have to tell my patients, you know, Hey, Amber, um, I know that your insurance says you can see me 30 times, but if I see you more than six, I get kicked out. And now all of a sudden I have some pissed off patients because they're like, Oh no, 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 no. Do you not know how much I pay for a premium every month? And they're telling you that you can't see me. Mm. So what we determined to do was just to step away. And so now we actually have a transparent fee schedule. People know how much it costs to see us. Medicine is one of the very few professions and maybe the only one in the world where you can go and get something done. And it's almost like unheard of to ask, how much is this? Right? Like you get an x-ray or you get a scan or you see a visit. You're like, how much is this going to be? And they're, typically they're like, I have no clue. I don't deal with that. That's, that's the insurance billing. And then you get what we call the mystery bill. And you open <laughs> that thing up and you're like, holy crap. If I would have known it was that much, I don't know that I would have done it. Right. So, and I get, I'm not trying to discount that people pay a lot of money for insurance. Here's the scoop though. It's called health insurance, but it's really not designed to keep you healthy. It should really be called sickness insurance, right? Cause it's designed to keep you from dying. It's not designed to keep you healthy. Now on the flip side of that, we are able to, you know, make like uh, what we call a super bill, which has diagnostic codes and procedure codes. People can submit on their own yet. What I tell people is don't expect your insurance to pay a penny. Don't come in to this hedging the fact that, boy, they better pay for some of this or else I'm screwed. If that's the case, I would don't even accept them as a patient. I just say, hey, this is, that's not the right way to go in. You're not going to be, because could you imagine you're, you're stressed about finances? That doesn't put you in a state of physiology that's going to allow you to heal. So, so that's why have those conversations in the front end. Don't get bullied or salesed into a program that's going to, that's going to promise all of these amazing results come on people like let's 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 be real we all want hope and and reality and authentic conversation along the journey there's got to be a place for that so yeah so we treat people all over the world especially all over the united states we work with labs all over the us we send blood kits out um we have a really unique approach when it comes to reading blood labs what i used to do is sit down with a person on zoom or on uh, knee to knee and i would go through 11 pages of labs and then i'd tell them what to do and i tell them where we're going to go and and what I realized is, oh my gosh, they're like deer in the headlights. So we have a very unique process that we take people through now where when I get their blood. So the first step is I first step is we do a free phone consult because I just want to make sure we got the right person. We do that either over the phone or zoom about 15 minutes long. I just need to know who this person is. I mean, 
Um, and as nicely as I can say that we don't let crazy come into our practice. Like I, I have a very unique group of healers and clinicians and I love them all. And I am the gatekeeper. So I, I, I am the person at the, at the gate of the bus that says you can come on in and I'm sorry, this is not the right place, but here's another place that could be good for you. I don't mean to say that prideful or arrogantly. I just know what we're good at. Um, so that's, that's, that's just me being a good doctor. The second, the second step is um, the initial evaluation. We charge a whopping 97 bucks for that. It might be more by the time if, if anyone you hear this, but that's what we charge right now, but it's no secret. Uh, it's about a 45 to an hour minute phone conversation or Zoom or in person. And the goal of that is to understand the person's journey. The first question I ask on that, and that is when you were born, were you a vaginal delivery or a cesarean delivery? And I talk through every house you've lived in, exposures, traumas, health instances. I need to connect the dots. The goal of that time then is for us, for me to determine what labs are necessary. A lot of people have come to us with labs. We order labs when the labs come back in. What I do with just the labs is I create a nice video that just goes over the labs. If you're listening to me, you're like, my gosh, this guy talks fast. So I create a video so you can pause me, you can rewind me, you can watch me again, you can watch me with loved ones, and you can just let the data digest. And then I have an hour follow-up where I have three goals. Goal number one is, do you have any questions about any of the lab results? Goal number two, here is our initial plan of attack. Here's the things we're going to do with your lifestyle. Here's maybe some supplements we're going to use. Here's, we might talk about coffee enemas. We're going to talk about poop a little bit. And then based upon the lab results, then we know what we're up against. Then we know uh, the, the type of care that they actually need. Now, again, typically really sick people find us. They need a lot of care, but we don't know that until we have the labs back. So that's the, that's the unique journey that myself and my team take. And we get really, really good results. Now we're not a huge clinic, right? Because the average American doctor has 650 patients. We keep our clinicians around 50 to 60 patients per clinician. Wow. What that means is they actually know you, they know about you. They wow. think about you. They, they, they are, they're in tune with what you have going on. So, so that's, yeah. Long story short, that's what we do here. I love that. I think everybody needs a Dr. Greg. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we are probably at the end of our time. So, Hey y'all subscribe to my channel, go follow Dr. Greg. I'll have all his information below. And again, thank you so much for coming on. I have had a wonderful time and I think you're amazing. I love your approach, your clinics approach. It's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Amber is truly an honor to be here. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.